If you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and you can be turning uh, to page 1,634 in uh, that Bible, and you will find yourself in the fifth chapter of 1 John this morning. So we've come through uh, the book of 1 John. We're now to the final chapter, and uh, we're getting ready to look at uh, some things that we can know, some assurances and some confidence that God is going to give us in this last chapter. It's going to be a good time tonight or tonight. Today we're going to look at the, the first five uh, verses and we're going to look at the, the assurance that God gives us. Now it's good that God gives us, he gives us assurance and not insurance. So um, uh, he's, he's a good God. And then we're going to see the witness of eternal life in a couple weeks in verses 6 through 12 and the confidence uh, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 13 through 21. So if you have your Bible, let's look at the text. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth also that, I'm sorry, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God uh, when we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for that reality that we are overcomers. We just talked about it. James just spoke about it from the book of Ephesians. And Lord, we just sang an incredible medley of songs about being washed in the blood and being leaning on the everlasting arms, Lord. What an exciting thing it is to be in Christ this morning. Uh, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. But with you, uh, Lord, nothing is impossible with God. And so, Father, I know in a room this size and those watching, Lord, that there are challenges uh, in people's lives today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this chapter would bring great assurance to us and great comfort and encouragement in our relationship with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here or listening that is not born again, that they would make sure today that that would be settled. Lord, this is your will, and this is your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would dwell in us richly, it would work in us effectually, and Lord, fervently, Lord, that you'd be glorified in all that we say, all that we do. We just thank you and we praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, knowing the evidence of the new birth is important for two reasons, and that is the title this morning, Know the Evidence of the New Birth. Uh, we've been talking about being authentic. Now, when someone is born, you can't fake that, right? You're either born or you're not born, and uh, and that's so important. But you know what? Even after you're born, you can always question your origins later, right? You know, was that really my mom and my dad? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you, you know, the devil's pretty tricky. He can, he can make you question uh, who you are and your identity. He wants you to identify with your old nature, right? Not your new nature. He wants you to identify with who you were, not who you are in Christ. And so it's important that we are centered in the Word of God when it comes to our, our birth, our new birth in Christ. So there's some evidences that we can get, and we'll see them as we continue through the chapter. But this morning, I'm only going to kind of look with this little loop. Like, you, as I've already taught, you know, John, he's, he uh, writes in an oriental fashion. He keeps kind of circling around the same subjects regarding loving God, loving people, the great commandment. And uh, this is no different. In verses uh, 1 through 5, we, we really end where we began. If you look at the text that we just read, we go right back to where we we began about believing that Jesus is the Christ. And so it's so important to get a hold of who Jesus is 
so that you understand who you are, right? And we've already touched on some of these things, but we're going to come back around to that. So uh, first, why is that important? Well, first, it assures our heart that we are the sons of God. And we took a lot of time in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, talking about that reality. But behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And that was important because in 1 John 2, 28, we understand that we're going to appear before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and we want to be ready for that, and John wants to prepare us for that. And so understanding our identity today helps us know who we are so that we can accomplish that which God wants us to accomplish. You can mark it down. When people are, are confused and they're discouraged and they're all out of sorts um, with people, they're all out of sorts with God, and they've lost their identity in Christ, and they've lost their purpose and their mission, and all of a sudden they're disenfranchised, and they're like, oh, you know, everything is just terrible. Well, that's because it's all about a relationship that we have with Christ, and that's what makes it all work with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your coworkers, with your, your, your uh, fellow students, your teammates, whatever you're endeavoring, you got to be right with God or you aren't going to be right with people, and that begins with our identity in Christ, knowing who we are and who God's made us to be. Second, it gives us the ability to discern the spirit of truth and error. Chapter 4 was dealing with all kinds of discernment issues between the spirit of Christ and the Antichrist, right? And knowing the difference and being able to discern. And I left the last time I preached in chapter four, I gave you seven points in one sermon about, you know, how you can know what's authentic and what is, is the true, uh, you know, spirit-filled um, evidence of, of the Holy Ghost. So John has spent a great deal of time in First John chapter four discussing that spirit of Antichrist and understanding the spirit of God. So now he goes back to the subject of First John three, and our birthrights as sons of God. So there are three things that we are going to learn in this message today. First, that we're going to lo- learn about the love uh, that the, the love for the children of God that we have, because uh, that is evidence that we are uh, born again. Also, we're going to see the love for the Word of God, and third, we'll see the victory over the world. So those are some th- pretty positive things, some evidences of the new birth. So if you look at the text with me, just once again, notice the first word of the chapter. If you've got a King James Bible, it's capitalized, every, every, every letter. Whosoever, it's like screaming at you. You know, they left the text, when, they, when God was texting this to the, KJ, to the King James gang, he left the, the cap locks on, right? And uh, he's yelling, he's saying, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, I don't think I need to take a lot of time uh, explaining that is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? But what I really like about this text is what it, how it starts. The whosoever, the whosoever. And so our first point of study here is the, the, the first evidence of the new birth is love for the children of God. And as you look at this first point, there, there are uh, <clears throat> those who are born of God are, uh, have a whosoever love, a whosoever love. Uh, you thought you, that was going to be a different word. That's not something I'd normally say, but it's a, it's a whosoever love. And I was thinking about what that, as I was looking at this, I'd never seen this before either. I was checking this passage out thinking, wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, obviously, we know that God loves the world, um, but he says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, or is the Christ, is born of God. And so, do you have a whosoever love? Let me ask you, do you have a you, are you a whosoever? Are you somebody that God loves? Well, you are. No matter who you are, God does love you. That's, that's not just a you know, flowery speech uh, or wishful thinking. 
God has evidenced his love for humanity through his son Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. So his love was action, and he loves you. So whosoever, it's not an issue of does God love us, actually. It's an issue of do we love God? Do we believe that God is who he said he is? Right? He's saying whosoever believeth. Because you say, well, Brian Point A says, do you have a whosoever love? Right, that's, that's on our end. But it starts off with God's love for us. Right? He offered himself, he offered his son, to be more specific, for our sins so that we could receive that gift. And then he gets into this issue. Now, John is obviously writing, first of all, uh, he's writing here to people who are first century Christians. He's also, this has a context for us in the church age, and then, of course, a future in the, in the coming tribulations. So, uh, this is this is an incredible passage. Those who are born of God have a, a whosoever love. Do you do you have that whosoever love? This is the ninth mention of the word whosoever in First John, and there are a total of ten mentions, uh, with the last mention in verse eighteen. So you you see what's called full mention. The first five of the seven mentions of the word whosoever in First John they're found in chapter two, verse twenty three, chapter three, and verse four, six, nine, ten, and fifteen. Uh, and those mentions that I just pointed out. Those first five are negative. The whosoever's are, are all negative type of, of things. And the final mentions of the word whosoever in chapter 5 are positive in nature. Uh, the, the, it's a whosoever love, uh, that it's a whosoever loves that saves us. In Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's a whosoever love that displays Jesus through us. It's the evidence that we are abiding in the light. In 1 John 2.10, it says, He that, that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. It's the evidence that we are children of God in 1 John 3.10. In this, in, in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, here's the word again, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. It's the evidence that we have passed from death to life in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth his brother abideth in death. And it is the evidence of knowing God and being born of God. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us not love, uh, let us, I'm sorry, let us love one another for, the, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So the whosoever love is displayed through the body of Christ. It's an evidence, uh, as you can see from the witness of what we've already seen, all the way through First John. Now those who are born of God believe Jesus is the Christ. Now specifically, this is very important for us to, to really look and take a moment to examine. Do you know that Jesus is the Christ. I was thinking about this passage and, and even the word itself, Christ. I didn't, I've, my whole life I've heard the word Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. But it wasn't until I was a Christian that I understood what Christ was. What is Christ? What does that mean? It means Messiah, somebody said it, right? It does mean Messiah. And so do you know that Jesus is the Christ? That's really what, what John is asking here. He says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Before we get down to the love part, he's dealing with the Christ part. Before we get to all this love and how we interact and all of that, I need to back it up and go, well, wait a minute. If you don't have that kind of love for the brother and those that are begotten of God, well, perhaps you don't know the Messiah. You don't know Christ. And so you, can, you, you may be <clears throat> uh, like I used to be and not really know 
what the word Christ or Messiah even means. Many think belief is too easy. It's just too easy to believe what the Bible says. It's not too easy. Believe me that. It is not too easy. We understand faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The issue is is not uh, having belief. It's really in what you believe. Right? John isn't just saying, do you believe? Do you believe in God? Well, that's not the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? That is the question. Everyone in America believes that Jesus is, well, I don't even know what they believe. I wouldn't say that. Let me back that statement up before it comes out of my mouth. Many people in America would say, oh, I believe, I believe in God, right? Uh, and then others would say, uh, I believe in Jesus. But when you really boil it down, is Jesus, do you believe in Jesus who's Christ? Do you believe in Jesus who's the Messiah? Now, you may not say it that way when you're witnessing to somebody, but I want to work this a little bit because one cannot know that Jesus is the Christ if they've never been told that Jesus is the Christ, right? They, they aren't going to know it if they haven't been told it, and that's why we've already covered uh, you know, Romans ten thirteen, a very familiar verse to many of us. You guys know it, many of you by heart, for whosoever... Uh, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. We started there with that whosoever. But it's interesting because uh, just uh, the next verse down in, uh, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? The subject matter that we're finding in 1 John chapter 5. Then he goes, And how shall they believe in whom, <clears throat> in him, in of, of whom, I'm sorry, they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a... Preacher, right? There is, there is a need to tell people that Jesus is Christ, that he is the Messiah. He is not just a God. He's not just a good, a good time. He's not some dude on the internet giving you a thumbs up. I mean, he is Christ. And that's what you need to believe is that he is the, is the Christ. So some don't know that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah because they've never heard about the Jesus of the Bible, we're not sharing concepts about some historical person. We're sharing the reality. Of course, he's the historian. He's the one who wrote the book. He manifests himself in the flesh. It's important that people understand who Jesus is so that they can believe upon him. And so do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Now, um, first, you've got to know that Jesus is the Christ before you can believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that's the, that's the simple point I'm driving home here with my hammer and my nail. You cannot know that Jesus is the Christ if you've never heard that Jesus is the Christ. So we need to make sure we share with people that Jesus is Christ. So once you hear of Jesus at Christ, it's imperative that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means he is not just historical Jesus. That makes him all man, but not God. And I tell you, guys, that's, for, that's before I was saved, that's where I was kind of at. I mean, it's hard to deny that Jesus was a historical person. But it took me until March 25th of 1987 before I actually realized that Jesus was not just a person in history that died a very famous death. Now I'd heard the death, the burial, resurrection. The issue wasn't hearing about Jesus or even historically knowing what happened. The problem was I did not believe it. Nobody had opened up the Bible, and, and I wasn't convinced that because I didn't understand who I was yet as a sinner, I didn't understand who Jesus was as my Savior. It didn't quite make sense to me when I was lost because the carnal mind doesn't receive the things of God. So God brought people in my life that opened the Bible and began to preach 
Jesus is the Christ. He's not just a dude. He's a dude that came for you, dude. I mean, he's coming for you. And he's coming for you good now, but if you don't receive him now, it's going to get bad. That's the message I had to receive because I'm not like all you nice people. I was kind of hard-headed. And it, God had to show me his wrath so I'd receive his love. And so, so I was like, oh, I get it. It's not just historical Jesus. And it's, by the way, it's not mystical Jesus. And we've covered this as we've gone through 1 John. During John's uh, time in the first century, Gnosticism, uh, the, the Greek philosophy that all matter is evil and only spirit is good. And the Gnostics had the secret wisdom uh, of God and all us common people had no access to God. And we were all carnal and caught in our sin and very similar sounding to, to the gospel, but not the gospel, right? And it was based, it was man-centered. It was scholastic-centered. It was based on these men that had the, the secret handshake and the key to all the knowledge, the mystical knowledge of God, who were supposedly holier than everybody else. And it was locked out to the rest of the people. And, and man, John just sticks a boot in that thing and says, no, that is not accurate. Jesus Christ is all God, but he's also all man. He was, not, he was, also, he was definitely human. He was all man, but he also was God, right? It's not a mystical Jesus that the Gnostics believed in, that, this, that spirit was good and, and, and matter was evil, and that Jesus, therefore, could never have ever really been manifest with flesh because then he would have been corrupted. That was the teaching going around in the first century. And by the way, that still circulates a little bit today. And so that's hogwash. Uh, that's not accurate at all. Jesus Christ, and this gets down to the issue of Jesus being Christ, Messiah. He came and manifests himself in the flesh. So John is shooting that notion down from the first words of this epistle. John knows that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. I mean, goodness sakes, he hung out with him for three and a half years, right? He watched him. He's the only apostle that was able to watch him be crucified. Well, I wouldn't say able, the only one that chose to follow him to the cross. And he was there when Jesus rose again. And he was at the at the and he was there when Jesus ascended. I mean, he knew who Jesus Christ was. He opens this epistle saying, right, that which we have handled, meaning we have physically handled not just the Jesus Christ of the incarnation, we've handled the Jesus Christ of the resurrection. I mean, this man had been with Jesus, and, every, and, and Peter, James, and John saw him transfigured. I mean, so he saw Jesus in, in uh, various forms, and there, he, was all, he was very physical. He's saying, hey, Jesus is Messiah. He is manifest in the flesh because he ministered with us, he ministered to us, and he's left us here to minister in his stead. And beloved, you know what? That's the truth to all of us, if you're born again this morning, the new birth. So it's, he's not another Jesus. By the way, I need to mention that as well. So we have, we have this historical Jesus, we have the mystical Jesus, but then the, probably the most popular Jesus that you have around these parts is another Jesus. That's the Jesus that's just not in your Bible. And there's all kinds of that. Uh, that's the Jesus you want to create. Uh, the Jesus that, that exists in your imagination or in your denomination or religion. Uh, the re- Jesus that is just not squared up with the Scripture. I could go on for days and days. We're going to have a class on uh, apologetics coming up next year. You'll want to get in on that. We'll touch on many of those things. But, but uh, for instance, the, the Mormons say that he is the brother of Jesus. That is not the Christ. Jesus is not a, a cherub. He's not the brother of Lucifer. That is, that is not the Christ of the Bible. 
Uh, he is not a prophet, though he does have the spirit of prophecy, right? And his words are true, and, but he's the God of the universe. So, so sorry, uh, Islam, he is not a prophet. He is the one and only Son of God. Um, and so, and he, by the way, that would also, he is the manifestation of God in flesh, which also torques the Islam around the axle as well. They can't deal with that. And moving on, he is, he is also, um, he is not less than God, as our friends across the street would tell us at the, at the, kingdom, at the kingdom hall, right? Jesus is equal with God. He says that by his own admission, I and the Father are one, and John obviously penned that as well. So, so there's these Jesuses that, that people would have you believe, but they're the wrong Jesus, right? And you want to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the Christ, the Christ. So believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, implies that you have some knowledge of and believing of the following things. So I want to clarify this in case there's any doubt. So let's just run through some basic things. Now, I, if you're like me, I, when I got saved, I did, literally did not know the Old Testament from the New Testament. So I'm sympathetic to somebody, and I want, I want you to know right now, to get saved, you don't have to understand all the, the nuances of everything I'm about to say. You just got to understand and believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is, and God will give you that understanding. But it's interesting. I'm going to work through some things on your outline, and you will see... If you're born again, these are things that whether you could articulate it or not, you kind of knew in your gut when you bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so let's just work through that. So uh, the first thing is you're going to believe the following, that, his eternal na- that, uh, that he has an eternal nature, right? You're going to believe in his eternal nature. He is eternal God. Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Equal to God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. He's Creator God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You're going to have a concept that this Jesus is eternal. He is God. Right? That's where we start. And then um, we, have a, we, we understand that He was born physically. We understand that he was born physically. This is called, the fancy word that we use is incarnation, right? We think of uh, uh, carne uh, in Espanol, like flesh, right? So, so it's, he's incarnate. We even use the term carnal, meaning fleshly. Jesus became, uh, God, God was skin on. That's Jesus. He was born physically. John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word was made flesh can't be any clearer than that and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth john 1 14 so he is eternal in nature he was born physically he was begotten uh and of course he he did now i didn't understand this before i was saved but he did appear uh, before he was born as the angel of the lord but he was not born and made himself a little lower than the angels until Jesus was born of Mary, and that was an incredible thing. The angels were looking into that thing going, what in the world? This is incredible. And so uh, we'll talk about that in December. I've got a whole series coming up on Messiah, so we'll be talking about the peace that he brings all through December. But his incarnation, we celebrate it every, every year. Jesus came to this world, and he lived. Not was he just born, not was he just made flesh and dwelled among us, but while he was flesh dwelling among us, he was sinless. 
He was sinless. And that's the thing. He lived a sinless life. Now, and I'm not just saying it. 1 Peter chapter 1, this isn't the only verse, but I'm, I'm trying to move along. It says in verse 18, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. What's Peter saying there? He says this lamb was sinless. He is the sinless son of God. He was a sinless sacrifice for us, which brings me to point D, the next point. Well, check mark on your outline. He died as our sacrifice for sin. In 1 John 2, 2, and he, was the, he is the propitiation. We've already covered this, right? The propitiation for our sins. Even though he was sinless, he became sin for us who knew no sin, right? We understand that. Paul says that. Why? So we could be made righteous. So he became the sacrifice for sin and not for ours only. <clears throat> uh, look out, Calvinist friends, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yeah. And I can tell you that blood's important. Because if you don't receive it now, you're going to be guilty of it later. The blood's been shed for everyone's sin. All right, so his eternal nature, he, he's, he was born physically. He lived a sinless life. He died as our sacrifice for sin. And he rose the third day, fulfilling the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now that is the catch. He overcame sin and death, right? He led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men, Ephesians says, quoting from the Old Testament. So Jesus isn't just a sinless son of God who died as a sacrifice for our sins. Then he resurrected on the third day. That means he's alive. Well, where is he then? Oh, I'm glad you asked. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Acts 1.9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a, in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But where is he at now? Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, it wasn't until after I got saved. I was, I was kind of mystical in my concept of heaven. I thought, you know, like when you died, you just went into nirvana, you know, some mystical place or heaven was some mystical place. I believe it's literally a place. You know, and, uh, and, and Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of the Father right now. All right. So when that settles in on you, and you think, wait a minute, I really do believe that. I, I really believe that God was manifest in the flesh. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he's alive right now. Well, then if you ain't saved, you need to get saved in a hurry. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You need to, you need to say, hey, Jesus, thank you for this gift. Hey, Father, thank you for this gift. I receive your son, and he will save you. He will secure your soul. And you need to do that because he does have all power. See, part of this issue of Messiah is he's coming. He has come to take over. And uh, right now is a time of grace. So he will return in power, glory, and righteous judgment. Acts 1.11, which it says, which also, uh, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And there's all kinds of prophecies that tell us what his second coming is like. Now, for the church, of course, he's coming to catch us away in the clouds. But it's all part of that day of the Lord when he comes back at the end of the tribulation in his wrath and his just and righteous judgment, treading the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. 
All right, so getting back to our conversation here about whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, right? It starts there. You cannot have the love of God that you need for others until you understand the love that the Father has had for you. And then you have to bow your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And you know what? He comes in your soul, in your body. He quickens you, Ephesians chapter 2, and you become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, when I got saved, and I'm just my own testimony, I didn't understand it. I could not have given you this outline. I couldn't have articulated anything. I was like a baby going, ah, you know, feed me, feed me. I don't know what just happened. But I did understand in my soul. I understood when I, I, when I saw that Jesus, actually it was the wrath of God in my case, I believed it. And it made sense to me for the first time that God was angry, justly angry, and that I was in the crosshairs. That's when it, the, 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 the bell went off in my heart. said, ding, 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 you're the sinner. <laughs> That's what it needs a sacrifice. Duh, you know, pretty stupid. But you know what? That stuff is spiritually discerned. You know, you can grow up your whole life hearing that message, but there's a moment when the Spirit of God knocks on the door of your heart and says, hey, I ain't talking to everybody else. I'm talking to you. Have you received me as the Christ? Am I the, am I the, am, am I, are you honoring me as God? Are you, get, are you bowing your knee and confessing with your mouth that I am Lord to the glory of God? And that needs to happen in everyone's life. Not some, not some Jesus that's not in the Bible, not some concept of Jesus, not some just historical Jesus, not just an intellectual consent Jesus, but a heartfelt acknowledging of, wow, God, you have given your son to deal with the sin problem, and I am receiving that gift Thank you. It is free. All you have to do is believe what he's already done because he's done all the work. He's finished the work on the cross. He has sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and give us knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you're convicted about salvation, it's because the Holy Spirit of God is already at work. You don't have to be saved for the Holy Spirit of God to start teaching you that you need to be saved. He won't steal your soul till you receive him as Lord and Savior, but he will convict your heart of your need to be saved. And if you're listening to the message of God and you're, and you're hearing that Jesus is the Christ, but you've never received him as Lord and Savior, then today is the day of salvation. Respond while you can. Because believing Jesus is the Christ means a lot to us in this church age. And it means everything to you right now if you're not saved. You need to be saved. Believing Jesus is the Christ will mean a, a lot in the tribulation as well. Because in the coming tribulation, the, the, the tribulation saints and the Jews in particular will be faced with an anti-Christ. And they're going to have to choose to follow Jesus, the Christ. And you can imagine how this will go for them. They will have to choose Jesus as the Christ and reject the Antichrist. So there's a, a future uh, reference there as well. So it's pretty cool to think about all those things. So those who are born of God, point C, Love those begotten of God. Now we can get back to really the thrust of where I started about the love because that's really where, that's really where uh, John's parking his car, right? Everyone that loveth him that begotteth loveth him also that is begotten of him. So in this room, we're probably, if I said, hey, who's saved? You'd be, amen. Yeah, we're on the amen choir. We're all saved. Great. Now, the real issue then is do we love everyone else that's been begotten? And that is really the key. If we love God who brings forth children, we should love the Lord's children, right? This is the simple and self-explanatory thing that John is speaking of 
Uh, but the real question isn't do we understand it. The real question is do we do it? And I think you guys do. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, and, and we demonstrated even last week You know what loving God means. It's not always just loving people and, and hugging up on them. It's also saying, you know what, this is, this is what God wants out of our lives. And we're going to hold each other accountable to the Word of God within the confines of the Word of God. <clears throat> and so, do you love God's people in tangible ways? Now, let me, let me ask you this way. Can you think of one way that you have demonstrated the love of Christ to others today? I can think of some ways I've blown it already today. Amy Jo. I, threw my, I accidentally threw my keys at my wife today. It wasn't good, was it? No, but we kissed and made up, so it was good. So, I think. No, there you go. <laughs> I should have got permission before I shared that. So, no, I was... I, I didn't know her hands were full, and I threw my keys at her, and it's like, you know how it is like in midair, you're like, ah, <laughs> oops, and it just, I think it may have hit you, did it hit you in the face? Okay, good, so, wasn't good, so those things happen, right, and uh, you got to get yourself squared away, because that could be a problem, now, I'm, I'm kind of making, that's kind of a small thing, but the reality is, is that it is hard daily, isn't it, to, you mean, you can be trying to do good, and then the next thing you know, you're doing bad, right? So it's a, it's a reality of keeping check, making sure that we are serious about loving others, including those closest to you, but all that God would have us to do in a tangible way. How about, okay, so who have you loved today? Now, I think it's Sunday. This is an easy day to say, check box. I loved on somebody today, praise God. But really, what about this week? You know, what about this month? You know, what's our, is that really what we're noted for? Is that the track record we're setting? Or would most people see you and say, really? No, don't, they don't have the love of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you don't love Christ. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But, I mean, they're not seeing tangibly the love of Christ. Now, aside from working in the children's ministry, which we desperately always need help there, and all the other many things, and putting concrete in, thank you guys, putting concrete in, and... Building stuff out back, thank you guys, and putting Bibles together, and, and, and all the things we really should be doing, and taking trips to Monmouth, which we're doing today. All that's awesome stuff. Now, and by the way, those are tangible ways of showing love for God. But as you're doing that, you've got to show love for one another, right? And it's got to be tangible. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all the glory of God. And what that means is when we glorify God, it's going to rub off on others. There's going to, we're going to love those that are begotten of God. We're going to love the brethren. Really simple, but very profound. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. So, if we reverse engineer that thing, do people know us for being people who love God? How are they going to know that? Well, the equation's right here. John gave us the equation, right? If you know algebra then, you know, it, that means that we will have a, a love for the... If we're lacking a love for the brethren, don't say you love God. Now, John's already stated that in chapter 4. You can't say you love God if you don't love the brethren. You can't say that. So we can say that we love God all day, but we don't. if we don't keep God's words, we're lying to ourselves. Oh, wait a minute. So you're not just talking about the brethren? No, this is a, this is a nuance to, to chapter 5. Look at this. He says... By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
it's really more about loving God than it is about loving others. Because if we love God and keep his commandments, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love others. It's really just the evidence. The reason that, that, that people sell everything they have and move overseas and, and, and try to get the gospel somewhere else to some other people group is not because they, I mean, they do end up loving that people group because where their treasure is is where their heart is also. But it starts with a love for God's word and his mission. His mission is to go ye therefore and teach all nations. So if you get excited about what God's excited about, if you understand the love of the Father for the world, well, the next thing you know, you're going to find yourself like Jesus Christ, being concerned about people of the world. Not just saved people, but lost people that need to hear the gospel. Maybe even selling everything and going. Now, not everybody has to do that, but some people do. We need to be going. We need to be loving God. So, we can say that we love God all day, but if we don't keep his words, we're lying to ourselves and others. And we don't love our brother or our sister if we don't love God's words. If we're not keeping God's word and loving those who are his, then we may not have the right birthright either. If you just don't have anything for this book and you don't have anything for the brethren, well, maybe you need to check your birth certificate. Are you in the family? Are you, do you have evidence of the Holy Spirit of God in you? Have you believed in the Christ? Or have you believed something or someone else? You know, when I was, uh, I'm going to, I, I got to move along, and I, I'm, but I want to park the car for just a moment because uh, I've, I've hit the salvation pretty hard. But when it comes to the body of Christ, I can tell you this, this is so important. Uh, coming out of the world and growing up, I didn't really have this. I was not brought up in church. So, you know, I was a consumer. I was getting, I got saved. I was getting from the pulpit, from the teaching, everything that God had. And I was going to war, okay? So I saw the church more like a, an army, a job. Fit me perfectly. I loved it. Just everything I needed, you know, I was all into it. But then our church had some bumpy roads, uh, I was right in the middle of my education process through shepherd school, and, and a pastor got fired, and, and a lot of nasty. You ever been in a church where there's a lot of nasty going on? Oh, man. Yeah, brother. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and so uh, it happens in all churches because the devil hates us, by the way. He hates us. He wants to divide us. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. And that's why what I'm talking about is so important. Because the first thing is loving God's word and then manifesting it horizontally, of course, is the natural evidence of that. But what happened, and, and I didn't, it took me years. I was down here as a pastor before I really picked up on this principle. Because like I said, it was, it was a shaky time. But hey, man, we're saved. We're going forward. We're carrying the ball. It really didn't, it didn't, didn't necessarily rock me as bad as maybe some others because I was going forward. But you know what I realized years later who got really affected by all of that? It's the lambs. Because I was like a junior high counselor. Guys, you know, like James Fife, that you see standing up here, he was a little junior high kid, high school kid, and all that was going on. A lot of kids that I knew back then, they get older and they go, and, and, and I get, I'm, I'm, a, I'm looking for them. I'm like a shepherd going, hey, what happened to so-and-so? And what happened to so-and-so? And what happened to so-and-so? And... And then you know what? It, it, took, it took James Fife one day. I took, went to lunch with him. I'm like, bro, what's happened? 
because I was concerned about the next generation. We need the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And you know what, he, what I learned is that, uh, now I'm not, can't, this is an excuse. This is not an excuse to not follow the Lord. But when, when, when people, especially in leadership, and leadership is the head of a home, okay? Leadership is being a father or a mother. Uh, leadership is obviously a pulpit. Obviously, it's a pastor or one of our pastors or deacon, right? That's also leadership. All those things are leadership. We all understand what leadership is, but don't just apply the issue to this pastor. Because what that does, that's where it starts, obviously. There's a problem there, then it's going to ripple out. But if there's a problem in the home, it's going to ripple out. And what happens is people see that, and you know what? They, they become cynical, or they get hurt. And they say, you know what? This, uh, this Jesus thing, Jesus being the Christ, doesn't seem to be working very well. You know what they're, what they're really seeing? Is the dysfunction of not loving God, manifesting itself on the relationships in the body of Christ. Now, that is not an excuse. Once you're 18 years old, by the way, I don't care what your situation, you're an adult, you better make good decisions and love God and love people. So I don't like a bunch of excuses there. But the reality is, is that when you grow up in a church family, like I didn't, um, we become like, like relatives. I mean, I went to the Bonison wedding, a beautiful wedding, and half of these kids, some of them I don't even know. I don't even know their name, but they think I'm like Uncle Brian showing up. They go to a different church, but they've seen me in a pulpit, you know, and their whole life. Uh, uh, Jennifer Lachlan and Andy Lachlan's daughter comes up to me. I'm talking to her husband, and she's like, you remember me? You were around me when I was this big. And I'm like, oh, I do remember. You were at the mission with us all the time, and, and we're catching up. And you know what, guys? You don't know the impact. I met another guy. He's like, man, Brian, you're still doing it after 30 years. He saw me get saved in high school, and you're still not jaded and cynical. Well, you don't know me. No, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but the point is this. I'm just saying, guys, I'm not trying to use myself as an example. I'm just saying that, that, that it is important that we don't just gloss over this whole, yeah, we love those that are begotten of God stuff. Because the love of the family in a local New Testament church affects the next generation in a big way. Bigger than I, I didn't realize all that. This is why I'm sharing it with you. To you, you're probably like, well, Brian, I knew that. You're an idiot. Well, I know. But uh, this was a big deal, so let me share. Because it really hit me. As a, it was good for me as a pastor to realize, you know what? That's why, like, man, Brian, why are you so big on the Lord's Supper and take it so seriously? I had someone actually like, man, you really took that seriously. Yeah, I do take it seriously. Because it's the family of God. We are an army, for sure. Uh, but, and we're a supernatural organism. But we are also a family. And so it's important that we, you don't, you'll do more for others than you'll ever do for yourself. The reason you need to get up every morning and read your Bible, the reason you need to get on your knees and pray the Lord Jesus Christ for your brothers and your family and for everything else, the reason you need to get all in on Jesus and the Word of God is not for you. It's because there are people watching you that mean a lot to you and they mean a lot to the Lord. And you are important to the forward progress of the kingdom of God even if you think you're not. Because you know the people that I've seen get hurt the most. It wasn't because the preacher fell. It was because daddy got crossways and all of a sudden he just drops his Bible and he's been preaching to his kid his whole life. This is the way, this is the truth, and this is the life. And the next thing you know, he's going down the highway. What's that about, dad? I thought Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm just saying, guys. Explain to me how we can say that we love God and we don't love people. So know the evidence of the new birth. Love for the children of God. Obviously, that means anyone that's saved, but it also means having some sort of understanding that what we do impacts the Lamb. Second, the evidence of the new birth is a love for God's Word. 1 John 5, 2-3, I've already touched on this. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So those who are born of God possess a love for God's commandments that manifests God's love to the children of God. I've already touched on that. So the only way to truly love the children of God is to love the words of God. When one is born again, God gives us a hunger for God's commandments and a love for God's truth and the truth of God's words. In 1 Peter 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted the Lord is gracious. I don't know about y'all, but when you first get saved, how many remember those days when you first got saved and, man, you just could not wait to get in the Bible? I mean, you're tearing it up, and you're like, I don't know what this means, but I'm excited about it. And you're just reading it and getting into it. Man, if that's not, man, that's the way it is. It should never go away. But let's be honest, we kind of get jaded after a while. Guys, this word is so important. It's so important. We can say all day that we love others, but if we aren't loving God's word, we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. A baby knows that as soon as they're born. They want milk. They want to eat, right? And now you say, well, now I got to make my own food. I'm a little older, right? You know what? Get up and make your food. It isn't as, it isn't as cool as when someone stuck a bottle in your mouth, you know, and said, here it is. Let's break it all down for you. Make it so awesome to hear. And, you know, as you get more mature, it's time to get up and get in the Word of God and start learning how the principles of Bible study. We don't just teach those for the fun of it. We teach that so you can learn how to rightly divide the Word of God and rightly apply the Word of God yourself. That's why we have discipleship. The, super, the supernatural outpouring of love for God is love for people. This is why our Lord Jesus Christ was willing and able to sacrifice His life for a sinful world that rejected and despised Him. It was not because His love for the world. It was because, it was because of His love for the father jesus loved the father the father loved the world and thereby jesus gave his life for the world there has to be a connection to the father in heaven and god has given you the direct connect with the holy ghost so you're connected to the very throne room of god you are in with the father and so there's a relationship that has to occur through the word so that we can accomplish the love that god would have for this world certainly the body of christ would be included so the father loved the world and that moved Jesus to fulfill the will of the Father. So the closer you draw to God's words, the closer you will draw to God. And the closer you draw to God, the closer you will draw to his will. This is why you know a church <clears throat> um, that loves God and his words will go with the gospel. If you go to a church that is not involved in missions, I'm telling you, if you're watching this online, you're in a church that does not understand the will of God. They just don't get it. And you will see the evidence of that, even in the congregation, there will be a lack of love. It will become self-centered, self-focused, all about us, and not about what God has called us to be and do. Why is that? It's because we don't really understand the love of the Father. I've said it before through this whole series. Some people have daddy issues. And I don't mean earthly daddy issues. I mean heavenly daddy issues. And they don't really know their Father in heaven and the love that he has for them. It's just an inkling of the love that he has for the world, and he loves us a lot. 
And so the closer you draw to the words of God, the closer you will draw to the Father, and the closer you draw to the Father, the closer you'll draw to His will and His mission. And this is why a Christian who loves God cannot help but invest the commandments of God into others. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we will not love our wife or our husband, our child, our family, our neighbor, our co-worker, or even our enemy unless we love God's commandments, to be precise. Commandments is what he says. That's almost a dirty word in our culture. You mean God commands me? Yeah, he does. He commands you to love him and love others. The great commandment. How can we say that we love someone and withhold the love of God from them? You simply cannot. Oh, I love you. Oh, really? Have you shared Christ? If I really love somebody, I'm going to share Christ. That's the best love I got for him. You know what? That's the, that's, the, that's the love that we have. It's the only love that really matters. It's the love that gets the gospel around the world, across the street, and into the hearts of those that we say we love. It heals the broken heart. It restores the broken marriage. It puts families back together. It is the love of God. And we cannot say we love God's commands and then ignore the call to love our neighbors as ourselves. So those who are born of God delight in God's commandments. God's commandments are delightful like the honeycomb. In Psalm chapter 19 and verse 8, the Bible says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold and yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Man, I tell you, Lord, I, I want the Bible to be like that. It, it can't, for me as your pastor, it can't just be another sermon. It can't be just another, oh, I've done my job today, I've read my Bible, on to the next thing. And this book has to be sweet, sweeter than, I love honey, sweeter than honey. Is the Bible sweet to you? Is it like honey? We're not, you know what he says at the end of that verse there? It's not grievous. It's not heavy. It's not like, oh, I got to read my Bible today. Oh. So terrible. Man, it's man, it's sweeter than honey. What are you talking about? These promises are for you. You don't need a bud. You need a Bible. This Bible's for you. Forget the bud. They can have that down at the stadium. This Bible's for you. It's sweet. Don't even leave a bitter aftertaste, man. It's good. And it's good for you. God's commands are esteemed profitable. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. Receive my instruction and not silver. Right? I mean, hey, money's good and you need it, but it's not, as, it's not as important as this book. That's what the Bible says. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge <clears throat> rather than choice gold. So receive instruction and receive knowledge above silver, above gold, for wisdom is better than rubies. And all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. What compares to our Bible? There's a reason there's an armory and we're putting Bibles together and this week a, a team, a church is coming up here on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this coming week to put Bibles together so we can ship them over to Africa so these people can get the Bible in their hands. Why? Because it's more precious than gold. More precious than silver. Oh yeah, the church that puts the Bible together, they love God's Word. Do we? Do we get in the Bible? Do we love it? Do we, do we cherish it? Or do we just want to talk about everyone else who's cherishing it? I'm not saying we don't. I'm just asking. These are the questions God asked me. So I'm just asking y'all. God's commandments are peaceable. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in, that in me you might have peace. Whew. 
You want to find peace today? Oh, I know where to find it. <laughs> more than gold, more than silver. You ain't going to find it with all the money in the world, but you can find it right here, right here in this book. You need peace. You ain't going to find it with the UN Peace Accord. You're going to find it in this Bible. It's a beautiful thing. In the world, you shall have tribulation. They're not going to get it figured out. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We'll get to that in a minute. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which casually approach thy word. No, oh wait, I'm sorry. Which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. It's amazing. They're like the Teflon Don. You can just throw insults at them. They're like, that's okay, no problem. Why? Because they're focused on something that's better. It's, it's just, there's nothing compared to the word of God. Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Well, you took my parking spot. Let's throw down over it, okay? Not filled with the Spirit, right? Not loving thy law. Have my parking spot. You want my shirt? What do you need? God's commandments are fruitful. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but you know the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit manifests the mind and the will of the Spirit in tangible ways through the Christian. But first, there's the internal fruit of the love, the joy, and the peace. And secondly, along with that internal fruit, there's a divine demeanor that's manifest through the child of God who keeps the commandments, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. These are evident to those uh, coupled to them in their family, in the body of Christ, in the world around them. And third, and, and equally as important as all the, the, the six before it, is the balanced fruit that is sweet-smelling savor to God as the child of God's faith, meekness, and temperance are a blessing to the Spirit of God within them and the Father in heaven. There's no doubt that a saint who, who furnishes the tabernacle with faith uh, that comes by hearing, which comes by the word of God, will find that meekness and temperance uh, and, and the yielding to obedience of God's word will make joyous communion in Christ. When they get to that place where, man, you know what? When we're walking in the Spirit, there's just a joy. One of my favorite songs right now is uh, by Phil Wickham. It's, uh, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And when I'm singing that song, I'm not thinking about this house. I'm thinking about this house. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Where's that joy come from? I got a joy, 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 joy. Where's that come from? It comes from Jesus and his word in our heart, doesn't it? That's where that joy comes from. So those who have evidence of the new birth don't find the commandments grievous. I touched on that. The yoke is easy, right? Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it's, and it's light. So the great commandment brings the great invitation. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest into your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, the light of God's word illuminates us. It's also a light burden. Man, there's no reason. It shouldn't be grievous. God's commandments that he's given us are not heavy <clears throat> once we're saved. We desire to know them, to keep them. But you know what's most important about God's word? It, it, there's something in the word as you spend time in it. You want to become it. You want to become more like Christ, more right, just more like the light of Christ. You want his, you want to decrease, as, as John the Baptist said, and you want him to increase. Less Brian, more Jesus. In my heart, as I stood up here, as James was praying, I, that's what was my prayer. I was like, Lord, I just want to be dead. I don't mean that like suicidal dead. I just don't want to be up here. I want you to speak today, you know. Because, guys, it doesn't matter what I think. Who cares what I think? What matters is what God thinks and what his word says. 
if your relationship with God is a list of do's and don'ts, and it's a heavy burden, man, you're either walking in the flesh or you are not saved. Check your birth certificate. Check your birth certificate. I'm not trying to get anyone scared of your salvation. Your birth certificate's right here. All you got to do is know what the Bible says about it and believe it. That's simple. But check your birth certificate. You're not going to have assurance without examining the evidence. Well, I wonder if my mom and my dad are my mom and my dad. I don't know. Let me check. Oh, yep, that's my mom and my dad. My dad is my father in heaven. I got the birth certificate right here. I've been through that drill. I've done everything he asked me to do. I believe everything he told me to believe. I'm born again. If I die and they say, you can't come in, I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. Turn with me. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly and quickly, I have zero time left, but we will get through this third point. Know the evidence of the new birth, right? First, we love, there's a love for the children of God. Secondly, there's a love for God's words. And lastly, the third evidence of the new birth is victory over the world. Isn't that a good thing? And we don't need to tarry long here. This is pretty simple. For whatsoever is born of God. Notice it says whatsoever. That's interesting because you were a sinner. Now you're a saint. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is, uh, who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now you see there at the end of verse 5, it loops back. He's not just the Messiah. He is the Son of God, isn't he? Now the Messiah is awesome, but now he's resurrected. And he sits back at the right hand of the Father and he's in all power. How do you know that you, you overcome? Jesus overcame. And that's who you are. Your very DNA as a new creature in Christ is that of an overcomer. You've overcome sin and death. You've overcome the world. That's what he's saying very clearly. Victory comes through our birthright. We overcome because Jesus overcame. Your love for God will be challenged by the world, the flesh, and the devil, namely and specifically as Antichrist in the, in the previous chapter. Right? There's even a name for that. There's a spirit of Antichrist. We know in the future there'll be a person of Antichrist. There's, we're being challenged as we overcome, and that's okay. Note that you will not overcome in the future tense. You overcome now. We're not waiting to overcome We've already overcome. We're overcoming. We're overcomers. And so it says, the victory that overcometh the world. While you're in the world, what are you doing? You're overcoming it. You know what? That doesn't mean you don't have issues of distress. It doesn't mean there aren't things that are tough. But you know what? God gives you the grace. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You know what, it, you know what Paul's saying there is, that, you know what, we make, the, we make the knowledge of Christ taste good. It leaves a nice taste in people's mouth. You know what, when we have this down, these first five verses, what we really do is we start to realize that God is using us to leave a good taste in people's mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, want to, if you want your life to taste like honey, then you need to be tasting the honey. See what I'm saying? It all just works together, doesn't it? And so victory comes through our faith. 1 John 5, 4, the only mention of the word faith in the book of 1 John, it's the same word that's translated belief throughout the epistle. This, in this case, it's the only place it's mentioned there at the end of verse 4. In this case, we're not speaking of the faith of Jesus Christ, which saves us, and is imputed to us in Romans 5.22, Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2.20, Galatians 3.22. But John is specifically speaking of the faith that we bring to the table. This is our faith, the faith that was gleaned by loving God's commandments. We conclude with a question. 
Who is he that overcometh the world? Interesting in verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? It is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Not just Messiah, which is awesome, but the Son of God who's going to come in the brightness of his glory. We understand that he has already won. And beloved, we live in a time where you better get your head around that. Jesus has already overcome and he will come eventually and make it right. So John brings things full circle to chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and he that overcomes understands that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, over and over again, the Spirit of God calls us to believe God and overcome the spirit of this age. In Revelation 2 and 3, he mentions that we can, he that overcomes uh, has the blessing of eating of the tree of life in chapter 2 and verse 7. In Revelation 2, in verse uh, 11, it says you have the blessing of overcoming and not seeing the second death. It also, in chapter uh, 2 and verse 17, overcoming and eating of the hidden manna. Chapter 2 and verse 26, overcoming and having power over the nations. Chapter 3 and verse 5, overcoming and being clothed in white raiment. Chapter 3 and verse t- uh, 12, overcoming and being made a, a pillar in the temple. And lastly, Revelation three twenty one, 21, uh, those that sit with him in his throne have overcome. And so, beloved, you are overcomers. And there's a reward to you, brother or sister, who has overcome and is an overcomer day by day as you love God and you love people. So, we used to sing this song called, Faith is the Victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. You should go check it out. It's got some really awesome lyrics to it. Maybe, maybe tonight Ron will sing it uh, at, the, at the evening service. But it's a good song. And it deals with going into battle and how that, that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. This morning as we conclude, are you getting the victory? I pray that you're encouraged in the Lord. I pray you're encouraged in his word. And I pray if you're encouraged in the Father and you're encouraged in his word, guess what? You are going to be encouraging others. And that's our call. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude, may you be encouraged, Father, and may these be encouraged with the evidence of the new birth. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can leave confident this morning knowing that, that uh, we are born again and we have that evidence in our life. I pray, God, for anyone under the sound of my voice that is not sure of their salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. There is no time to tarry. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, a blessing of the reading and the hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand in an attitude of prayers, we tarry for just a moment. Is there anyone this morning that would say, Brian, I came this morning and I, I'm pretty sure I'm not saved, but I want to be saved. I want to have this assurance of the new birth. I want, to, I want to have that assurance of knowing Jesus Christ is my Messiah, that he is the Son of God and has overcome the sin of the world and the sin in my life. Anybody at all just say, Brian, that is me. I just need to have that settled. Anybody? If you do, we'll help you out right now. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Heads, heads bowed and eyes closed. All right. So, hey, as we are in an attitude of prayer, I'm not going to tarry, but maybe you are. Maybe you know your birthright. You know you're born again. You just say, Brian, I need some prayer today. Amen. I, there's several of us. I know there's a lot of need in our church, a lot of need in our lives. Let's, let's do just pause for a moment and pray for each other. Let's apply the message that we've learned. And as we think about these things, I can tell you we got a brother, Dwayne Arney, going through radiation. We need to pray for him. Lord, we, uh, Lord has reminded me we have a sister that uh, just lost her husband this weekend to COVID. And uh, Mark Brizendine's mom, he's uh, just been widowed. There's real needs. There's, there's questions in people's hearts. 
Heavenly Father, we come to your throne and we want to pray for one another. Lord, there's needs. There's people raising their hands saying, I have needs in my heart. I need prayer. And Lord, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's not a sin issue. Maybe it's just a a help Lord type of thing. They need some help at a time of need. But we know that you're ready. We don't always know how you'll supply, but we know that you will. And Father, we trust you no matter what. We're not promised to have an easy time in this world, but we are we can have the peace of God and we can have joy even in the midst of difficulty. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us perfect peace, Lord, that passes understanding, Lord, that the love of Christ would be so radiant in and through us that, that people both in the body of Christ and beyond would see the light of Christ, that we could fulfill the mission of being a, a people in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation that shine brightly until the coming and the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do believe that you're Messiah, and we believe that you're Son of God. We believe that you are seated at the right, seated at the right hand of the Father and that you will return. And Father, we know that you live in our hearts and that we have overcome because, Father, your Son has overcome. So we're so thankful for giving us that spiritual DNA and giving us this assurance and this comfort this morning of, our, of uh, the evidence of our birthright. We thank you and we praise you, and we ask a blessing in the reading and the hearing of your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. Um, as we wrap up, I just want to remind you that uh, next week is uh, Baptism Sunday. We have a couple candidates for baptism. If you are one that's uh, born again and you need to be scripturally baptized, find myself, find your ABF pastor, grab a deacon, uh, somebody, and we will get you connected and directed and get you uh, going with baptism if, if uh, you are looking to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Also, uh, just to mention tonight, Bob Paul will be preaching. I'm going to be heading up to Monmouth. Uh, so uh, make sure you're here to hear Bob. He's going to have a good message at the evening service. Wednesday evening, Jason McGuire is teaching child rearing class, so you'll want to be here for that, especially if you have kiddos, grandkiddos, and you want to have some good word on that. Steve Fleshman also could use a couple hands on concrete tomorrow still. Yep, and so if you could, this is Steve Fleshman here. If you're wanting to help jump on the, the flat work out front, uh, he could use some, some guys that could jump on that. Also, Thursday evening, um, I already mentioned the Community Baptist is coming, Community Fellowship Baptist from uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Please keep them in your prayers. They travel, and the Word First team as they prepare to receive them uh, this coming week. And uh, and please uh, remember our Mammoth team. Right now, they're working up at Mammoth to get the word uh, to the kiddos and feed the lambs so that Brian Clark can preach to the church up there. So we appreciate uh, that team that's up there. Keep them in your prayer as they uh, serve and as they travel. And uh, And don't forget... Uh, as we dismiss to give back to the Lord. Offering boxes are in the corner. If you remember, uh, that is how we're taking up our offering. We appreciate you. Appreciate as uh, you give as the Lord has blessed you. So with that, I think we'll have a couple announcements here. Oh, we got a video. That's right. And then Bob, you'll wrap us up with a prayer. Peace and quiet. Peace and quiet. <laughs> Now let's pack those Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. If you're like me, it can be difficult to know where to start. To make things easier, just start with a box. Any average size cardboard or plastic box will work, but I find a shoe box works best. After that, you'll need to decide what age group you're gonna pack for, and if it's for a boy or a girl. Now let's fill that shoe box. It's best to start by selecting a wow item, something like a soccer ball and a pump, or a stuffed animal, something really special. <laughs> yes and yes. Once you've got your wow item, you can start to fill it with other fun stuff like toys, clothes, sandals, or even school supplies. 
What do you mean, however? However, there are some things you don't want to include. Things like gum, toothpaste. For sure not. Items related to war, liquids. But for a complete list, check out the website. Oh boy, I think they're gonna like this. While a shoebox might seem small and simple, it can mean the world to a child who may have never received a gift. It shows God's love in a tangible way to children in need, and together with the local church worldwide, shares the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why you will also want to personalize your shoebox. Even including a letter or a photo of your family or yourself can make it extra special to the child. The most powerful thing you can do is pray. Pray that your gift will make an impact. That both the child and the community will discover the love and name of Jesus. When your box is finished, you can make your $9 donation online or by mailing in your contribution using the business reply envelope in the brochure. This donation is critical for training and equipping local churches to share the gospel, along with the collection, processing, and shipping of the shoebox gifts. And don't forget to activate a label so you can follow your box and discover its final destination. Finally, make sure to check the website for the closest drop-off location near you. And make sure to mark the date for the third week in November as National Collection Week. Well, there you go. You just packed yourself a shoebox. <laughs> Grandma. Already done. What? How? I thought she wasn't going to stores right now. She isn't. She packed her box online. That's right, Dad. With just a few clicks of a mouse, Grandma packed her whole shoebox online. She can choose from all kinds of gifts, even make it personal by adding a letter and a photo. Wow. So she doesn't even need to leave the house. Nope. She can stay safe inside and still have time for Doomcraft. Docking complete. box and sending it is is we might think might be a small thing but it's really a big thing especially to get the the name of jesus out to people that don't know it so uh uh shoe boxes are due next week so we can get those shipped in so if you're doing a shoe box make sure to do that and bring it back next week now the thing i will tell you about those shoe boxes is trying to get everything to fit inside the box so uh you have to watch out for that. So I, I think you've got most of the announcements that kind of went out today. We have, again, pray for our team in Monmouth. Pray for the team that's coming from Alabama next week. Uh, read your bulletin, and uh, I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And, Lord, we just pray today that we would let that love shine out to the people around us. I pray you would give us the words to say to, to our friends, the people we know, the, the, the gospel. Help us to be encouraging. Help us to, to get your word out. And I just pray, Lord, that we'd see that fruit in our lives. I pray for the teams that are gone, uh, that are in Monmouth, and the team that's coming next week. Give them all good travel and uh, just protect them. And, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.